My name is Haley Winter. You're listening to How's the Pressure, a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes in the world of massage. Welcome back, everyone. It is time for the second season of How's the Pressure. It has been a fantastic six weeks since you last heard from me, and I finished the first season. And not only have I figured out all of my technical woes with recording, so you should have crystal clear listening experience, but I revamped my website and my logo. Shout out to my friend Liam at Odeo Illustrations. I also have managed to secure some really good interviews with some amazing people. It is going to be a fun ride this season, and I wanted to kick it off with my friend Josh Jayento. Now, Josh has a truly unique story and perspective on bodywork because for years he was a fully ordained Buddhist monk living in Thailand. Now, while he was in Thailand, he also trained in Thai massage, so forgive me as I indulge myself here, but this was my first opportunity to explore what a monastic experience is actually like and how it can influence one's bodywork. Now, Josh has been published in Massage and Bodywork magazine. He is a devout student of the Buddha Dharma. And as you will hear for yourself, he is, in general, a good man. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with Josh. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, brother, for having me. Yeah, so this is a a conversation that has been a long time coming. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your, your really rich life. You've... You've done a lot of things, uh, include become a monk in Thailand, and I want to hear a lot about that and how that's influenced your body work and your life and, and how you approach everything. So, so tell me a little bit about what inspired you to make it to Thailand in the first place. Yeah. Um, actually, my mother was living there and working there. Uh, she's an international school teacher. So I was going to the Culinary Institute of America to pursue my associate's degree in culinary arts. And as part of that program, um, between the first and second year, you have to go work, um, they call an externship, and for about six to eight months or so. And uh, I, since she was there, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try to go over to Thailand and check it out. And, um, and from there, you know, things just kind of cascaded into loving it, falling in love with it. It's it's like a it's a totally different world and culture and tradition than what we have over here in the West. So that's that's kind of how I made it over there was just to be with family. And so you got there and you're really enjoying the culture and, and, and the landscape and and so what takes you from that point to I'm going to become a monk. <laughs> that seems yeah. that seems like a relatively large leap. It 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 is for our culture. Mm. Um, you know, in in our culture, whether I would say predominantly with the Christian tradition, you know, there are monks, but we don't really see them on like a day to day basis. Mm-hmm. In in Thailand, in the culture there, the monastic life and community, what they is known as the sangha, it's a Pali word. Um, and Sanskrit word. Um, so they're they're in the culture. You know, you see them every day. Temples are a part of the community. Temples used to be the cultural and community centers of the whole town or village or city. So 
Um, so it's, it's very different, you know, just by walking down the street, you see monks, you know, you, you go through temples. It's, it's part of like the tourism business. And so it's not so foreign, you know, to, to have, to see these people who are doing something that, you know, we in the West are kind of like, wow, you know, why would someone want to give everything up and just go pursue the spiritual life? And I think that the leap for me was not so much of a leap because I grew up in a, a very spiritual family um, and where my father had lived in England for a while and there he studied with some Tibetan lamas or Rinpoche, some Tibetan uh, teachers. And so this kind of Buddhist um, philosophy and way of looking at life kind of was, was in my family you know, from the, from the get-go. So when I, you know, and, and then just living there um, and, and seeing the lifestyle and the people and what they care about, what their priorities are, um, I was just really intrigued by how really regal a lot of these monastics were. You know, there was just something really special about them that I couldn't really put my finger on, but it, it, it called to me. And I, I think that that's something that is really true in a monastic cultures is that it's, it's a way of life that calls to, to people, just like different professions call to different people. And um, the monastic life could be considered a profession. It's a profession of full immersion into the spiritual life, the spiritual science and arts. And so you found yourself <clears throat> a monk in Thailand. Now... Yeah. What was, I have to indulge myself here. What was the best part about being a monk? Um, you know, that's a funny question because while you're in it, you know, you're in it. And for me, I think, I think the best parts were just the lifestyle, the feeling of community, the brotherhood, um, the discipline and the daily routine was something that I felt really helped me to try to be a better person. And that's really what the monastic life is all about. It's about putting yourself in a container and situation where you're forced to look at yourself and you're forced to see what, um, what your strengths and weaknesses are and how to develop those or, and how to have peace with those. And um, so I think the best part was just, you know, living it, was being there. And it, it's kind of like, you know, in Thailand, they say, if you want to know what, how hot a chili is or what a chili tastes like, you have to eat it. You can't just talk about it. You can't, <laughs> you know, yeah, you can't just think about it. You got to go, you got to put it in your mouth and, and see what it tastes like. Hmm. And I think that that's very true about the monastic life. So uh, with the good, I always know there comes... <laughs> The underside or the flip side to that. Yeah. So what was the yeah. least enjoyable part <laughs> of being a monk? Um, yeah. You know, when there's people, there's politics. And um, monks are not enlightened just because they're monks. I, I, I say the same about leaders, you know, um, political leaders just because they're in a position of leadership doesn't mean that they're great leaders. You know, it's not everyone 
wants to forfeit their ego so easily. So that's, that's something that um, was a challenge. But um, really in the day-to-day life, probably the most difficult thing was uh, the food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost okay. died probably five times. Really? Severe. Yeah. Like, I, I swear I was going to die at least three times in the hospital just because I was throwing out my brain. From the temple from food. Um, well, so as a monk, you go on alms rounds. Uh-huh. And so you are offered... Uh, food into a bowl and you eat food from that whatever is fed to you from the village so um there's not like you know a restaurant you go to down the in the next building the monk's tavern menu yeah monk's tavern (laughs) yeah um although you know at the temple that i was at it was huge there was a couple thousand monks and so they had a dining hall where people would come and offer food there instead of um because the, the immediate village could not support that many monks to feed that many monks. So yeah. there would be people, you know, and a whole kind of like system organized for that temple. But in general, when I was not living at that temple, you know, you go out into the village and you're eating, you know, fried frogs and uh, worms and, you know, fried grasshoppers. And, and, you know, their sanitation is, you know, they have different bacteria in their system that they're used to. Mm-hmm. you know a, a white boy like me you know coming into town um does not have that uh, that immune system to some of the bacteria that they're used to so that was um that was it was gruesome but um it teaches you the preciousness of and fragility of human life <laughs> <laughs> and your gi tract <laughs> Yeah, and you're, yeah, I, I know exactly what my GI tract is. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is the same answer, but why did you decide to leave? Yeah, I mean, it goes into the political mm. aspects of it as, mm-hmm. as well, but that's not, that should never be a reason why someone um, stops to do what they do. And I think that, you know, this is a very personal question. There was a lot happening at that time. And, um, and in, I, I had met a few people that really helped me to challenge to say, why am I really there? You know, and I had been there for three years and not in a bad way, but in an inviting way to say, you know, why, why are you a monk and what are you doing? And, and I felt that I was being called to do something else. And I was being called back to my own culture and back to understand you know, my own culture, where I come from, where I was born and raised into, um, so that I can be of benefit, you know, in that way. Because hmm. I think that the monastic way of life is is very foreign to a lot of people. And I think that it's inaccessible to a lot of people um, in terms of, you know, what they care about, what their priorities, but the teachings and and the, the practical application of the teachings is universal. And so I wanted to also test myself to say, you know, when you're a monk, you, you have this kind of like barricade around you. Of, you know, you, you have vows where you can't, you say, I'm not going to do these certain things, or I'm not in a situation where, you know, I'm not tested in many ways. I'm not tested to say, how would I really act if I'm uh, confronted with a problem or an issue? Whereas when you're a lay person or you're not a monk, you know, 
you don't have rules. You can kind of, you do have, we have rules, but we don't really have rules. You know, we can choose to do what we want. So I wanted to test to see, you know, are the teachings really applicable to my life as a layperson, to the people that I was supposed to be teaching this to. Right. And so that's kind of, that was those things combined together. Um, and I just, I made the, I made that leap, which was scary <clears throat> at the time. Now, you wrote an article in Massage and Bodywork magazine about the ethics of Thai massage. If you had to pick one ethical cornerstone as the most important, what would it be? Well, as I said in the article, what I what I would say I was taught as um, in terms of bodywork and traditional Thai medicine massage <clears throat> is that the 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 foundation or the pillars. Um, of the practice are what's called the Brahma Viharas, and that's, um, or in Thai, it's called Brahma Vihan, and that is metta or loving kindness, goodwill, uh, garuna, which is like compassion or the wish for other people's suffering or discomfort to end, and then mudita, which is a rejoicing. Or you know, being enthusiastic and joining someone in their, uh, obviously their accomplishments or their successes, or good health or whatever it is, and ubeka, um, which is the last, the fourth one of the Brahma Viharas, and that's um, it's sometimes translated as equanimity. But in equanimity, um, there's the the danger I think in terms of Western interpretation of that word is that it's kind of like people don't care. You know, it's kind of like I'm, I'm non-partial or it's kind of like, uh, it doesn't really matter. But really in this context, um, equanimity means that they're, they're non-biased or their, their goodwill, their compassion and their rejoicing is not just with people that they like or that they get along with or that are friends and family, but is with everybody equally. So it's, it's kind of like, a, it's, it's, a, it's making those three pillars universal. In, in their application rather than just with, Oh, you know, this is my best friend, you know? Mm. So, mm-hmm. um, and that may seem a little abstract in terms of why is that, you know, so important in time massage or why would that even be a cornerstone instead of like one's education or one's theory, uh, a theoretical understanding. Um, but people can learn about a knowledge and people can uh, become proficient. And, you know, like we, for example, it's a silly example. In movies, we see, you know, these Kung Fu masters. And uh, there are these uh, multiple disciples in, under this master. And, you know, some disciples kind of like take the dark side and they go the wrong way. And they become the villain, you know, to this other disciple who's the protagonist and hero. And that's an interesting point because, you know, with with something like Thai massage or with um, traditional medicine is that it's a knowledge, it's a wisdom, it's a science, and it can be used for good or bad. So what's what they look at traditionally in terms of Eastern medicine, Eastern traditional medicine, is the quality of character of the person before imparting such important knowledge. And I think that that's why it's such an important pillar to 
to Thai massage is because it goes back to why you're doing what you're doing and how to do what you're doing on like another level of excellence and of, of making it not just about yourself, of making it about other people and about developing the knowledge and about um, keeping it with honor and integrity. And so that's why I think the Brahma Viharas will probably be, um, not just in my personal opinion, but in the, the system of traditional Thai medicine as a whole, as it's traditionally taught and passed on from master to student. Hmm. Which Thai massage ethic is the most underutilized or the most underappreciated? Yeah, but I think what's the most underutilized ethic is the understanding and application of what's called the eight worldly dharmas, um, wherein they're broken into four pairs. So there's eight total, and they all are opposite of it. The pairs are opposite of each other. So, for example, there's gain or loss, and then there's happiness and suffering, or fame and um, of like a bad reputation, um, as well as being like exalted or having someone praise you or having someone speak against you. So those are the, the eight pairs. Um, or four pairs of eight. And, and so I think, you know, in, in terms of the, these eight worldly dharmas, is that traditionally we're taught to not be attached to them and not to avoid them or, or be uh, averted or avert them in our life. And, and this is really, and this goes back into the Brahma Viharas, especially the equanimity or Ubeka, is, is being non-reactive or non-responsive to either receiving, you know, great gain or, or losing something or having someone praise, you know, the heck out of you for being the most amazing massage therapist they've ever had. And then someone else being like, dude, you really suck and you need to just find a new profession. So, you know, it's kind of like you, it, it, it directly correlates to how we interact with our clients as uh, body workers. And, um, and it, what's kind of cool is that it kind of breaks it down into like a formula that is, is more easy to access while we're going through our daily life. You know, instead of just being caught up in the emotion of, oh man, you know, that really hurt, you know, like, or I, you know, oh, I really hope that, you know, I do a good job so that they'll come back or that they'll, you know, they'll, they'll talk good about me to everybody or that, you know, maybe it'll leave me an extra tip or, you know, or at the same thing, I really need to pay my bills and, you know, I just, you know, being down on oneself, or, you know, kind of like all the problems and, or, you know, issues that we are dealt with in our, our life, not just as a body worker, but just as a human, you know, this kind of gives us a reference point or a, a, a blueprint and framework to be like, okay, I need to watch out for this. I need to, you know, be, be careful, or this is how I can improve myself. And into being a better, um, not just a better person, but of course, a better body worker. Hmm. So what's your favorite element of Thai massage? When you're, when you're actually practicing it, what's the, the favorite piece for you? I think that what is really amazing about Thai massage is how it looks at the body as a whole. And that um, it's not just looking at individual parts. It's not just looking at... Um, the different layers of like the arm for someone who has shoulder pain or arm pain is that it's looking at how the rest of the body uh, affects that one ailment or that one condition that person is having. 
not only that, but the, the variety of techniques that are uh, taught and used in traditional Thai massage that are, are just really badass. And they're just a lot of fun, you know, to, to use. And I think with you, I use what's called the Tok Sen, which is like a hammer and chisel made out of wood that's a, a tapping or a percussion therapy. And uh, which is used predominantly when there's issues um, in the arteries or veins or circulatory system, as well as, you know, in Thai, in the traditional medical system of Thailand, they, they view the body very differently than, than we do in, in the West in terms of Western science and anatomy. Although there are a lot of uh, similarities between what Tom Myers has been finding in the fascial system and the fascial body. Uh, with the traditional Thai medicine as one of the layers there, so, um, so that's it's it's interesting just to practice because you you learn so much. The wisdom of the practice is so profound and so deep, and it goes back literally it goes back you know thousands of years. And the connection you're talking about between Tom Myers and the fascial trains uh, mm-hmm. or the anatomy trains throughout the, the body trains, yeah. is coordinated with the Thai meridians. It's very similar. It's not exactly the same, Mm -hmm. um, but there are, if you were to like superimpose the different meridians, what they, they, in Thai, they call them sen, which means uh, line or, uh, or rope, or it can also mean noodle, you know, like when you go to a noodle store, (laughs) a noodle shop on the street. It's very specific. Rope, noodle, (laughs) line. Yeah. So, um. They use them because they're they're linear. In um, why they use them in the medical system is because they're they're linear and they connect different things together through lines. So, if you had a magic wand, I know this is a, a fairly big question, but if you had a yeah. magic wand and you could change <laughs> anything you wanted about massage therapy, what would it be? On a, on a humorous note, I would say in the Thai. Um, world no more happy endings (laughs) um i think that that you know has really has really caused a lot of havoc in the uh the thai massage world um because people think and associate you know thai massage with sex or with sexual pleasure and i i I mean it couldn't be farther from the truth in terms of you know a, a doctor you know, in Thailand, massage therapists are not called therapists, they're called doctors. And they're expected to act as doctors. They're expected to be qualified as a doctor would, spending years. You know, traditionally, they would spend seven years before they would be allowed to really practice by themselves in public because they wanted to be sure that they really understood the theory. And I think that's what the wand I would hope and intend for it to fix is um, the lack of theoretical education that we in in the Western world who practice Thai massage do not take the effort to really research and understand. And I understand why is because this theoretical knowledge is in Thai. It's not translated into English really yet. So for someone who really wants to dive in deep to Thai massage, they have to learn Thai. They really do. Like in the, it doesn't mean that you can't be a good therapist. You can't help someone, you know, have a good session or, or be a good body worker. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is like the really deep aspects of the practice. Like if you were a 
going to be a Chinese doctor, a traditional Chinese doctor. You have to go to school. You have to go. You know, you have to understand the theory. You have to understand where it comes from. And in the Thai world, in the West, we don't do that. We, you know, there's this um, this kind of theory that Thai massage is a combination of Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. And I think that that's really dangerous. That yes, there are elements of um, Ayurveda in Thai massage, but what we should really understand is that um, Ayurveda only goes back so many years in terms of being officially labeled as Ayurveda. You know, what's the, the traditional medical system of Thailand that was passed down to Thailand through the migration of uh, Buddhist monks and Buddhist culture from India um, was a medical system that was founded in um, the theory, philosophy, practical application of Buddhism, of the, of the teachings or the Dharma that the Lord Buddha taught, which also includes medical theory. In other words, Thai medicine should be looked at in the realm of its own system, not in, the system, not in, in two other systems put together, if that makes any sense. It's unique to itself. And I think that that's something that uh, is a big issue in the Thai world, is um, the lack of education in terms of its theory you know people you know you can teach someone how to be a good body worker you can teach a person who is interested in thai body work and using thai techniques how to do those techniques so that they create a good effect you know that that's something that any good body worker can understand and do but um really diving into where this comes from what it, its profound background and the whole medical system behind it is something that I, I, I hope and I wish, you know, we take a real good look at and, and what makes someone a really good Thai body workers. They don't just take a Thai, you know, course for a weekend and then they can go out and, you know, say, oh, I practice Thai massage. That's really scary. Um, you know, I, and I would say that about other forms of massage therapy and body work is, you know, this kind of idea that we have now in the commercial West or particularly in America, I would say, and I'm not dogging America. I'm just saying, you know, we, there's like these weekend warriors that go out and they, you know, learn yoga or body work for a weekend. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're qualified to go practice on the public. Yeah. Mm. So kind of tying your initial humorous answer with a <laughs> real world problem. Yeah. What in your mind would be, the best first step at, at addressing that? Would it be having the, the Thai teachings translated to English yeah, or would sure. it be legalizing prostitution? <laughs> well, it's already legal in Thailand. So, um, but you know, and that's the thing, it, it's a big issue, you know, and, and part of this, my wife, Jennifer Yarrow, she, she really says this really well, that the, the issue, one of the issues that we have in the West is that we associate physical touch and sensation with sex and in many ways. And people who don't understand, I'm talking about a general public, I'm not talking about just body workers. Um, in, in, in general, like, you know, to have your belly massaged, like by a massage therapist, or to have your inner thigh, you know, massaged, with the intention that they're trying to help your system function better as a whole um, is, is there's an element to our society that we need to take a look at. 
you know, and, and massage therapists are not there to just fulfill the sensual needs of people who can't get it from a lover or can't get it from a partner. That massage therapists and body workers are there to help people uh, be able to live in their meat suit more comfortably and thus have their minds, you know, be more comfortable at ease. And I think that, um, yes, it's true that the Thai massage theory and all the, the scriptures and texts and medical manuscripts, they do need to be translated into English. But the problem is that there are very, 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 very few people who can do that. I've only met one um, person who is capable of doing that. And like for me, I, I read, write, speak Thai. Um, but the language, the medical language that is held in these uh, texts and, and manuscripts is old Thai. It's like another language. And the, not only that, but the medical terminology is a whole other language. So you need to have someone who has studied that terminology. Um, and not only just the terminology, but how to apply that, because a lot of the manuscripts are kind of written in code. You know, they were just like guidelines because it was an oral transmission or it's a transmission of, of master to student. And eventually they use some text, you know, just to help out, you know, so that people can remember things more easily or as, as reference guides. So yeah, it should, yeah, it, people, you know, the people who are qualified should strive to translate. The people who practice should strive to uh, live and practice in integrity. So is the one person who you know who can do it, are they doing it? Are they translating? Um, they're helping, but that one person has a lot of other responsibilities um, and is not, um, he's, uh, he's an ascetic. So he's not like living in the world and, and uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a, he's, he's, a, he's a crazy yogi, uh -huh. put it in another word. So, um, <laughs> you know, there are other people who are striving to, to learn the language. And there are people who are, or Thai people, obviously, who speak some English or are qualified to translate. It's just about us creating a demand for those people to put in the effort. And so far, there hasn't been a demand because people are, are feeling that um, it's just better, you know, to keep it as it is. It's a tourist business. It's successful as it is. And, um, and so why, change, why, you know, reinvent the wheel when it's already working? So before I leave you, do you have any answer for a question that I didn't ask? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a dangerous thing to ask me because I, uh, <laughs> I could go on for a while. But, um, you know, what I, what I hope is, is that people appreciate this knowledge that exists in the world, whatever it is, whether it's Thai massage, whether it's deep tissue, whether it's Swedish, you know, whatever sports massage it's um that this is something that is is a real gift to our world and to our society and there's so many things that we deal with as um you know people who are in uh, the healthcare industry whether it's insurance whether it's you know just getting ourselves out there getting you know our name out there but in in the old ways you know if you practice truly if you practice according to principle to ethics to morality, you know, people have their own issues with morality and relativism, and all that. And that's I understand, I, I can appreciate that coming from a uh, Western culture. However, 
there are ways of practicing or ways of being that are beneficial or non-beneficial and beneficial to ourselves, to our clients, to our community, to the integrity of the practice. Um, and I think that we need to go back. The question of how to you know, be a better body worker is not necessarily just go get more cert certifications, uh, but is to really hone and perfect the skills that you have been taught and, um, and to understand yourself and how you go about doing what you do, why you go about doing what you're doing in a much more clear, you know, proficient, efficient manner. I really appreciate you sharing your time and your Thanks. knowledge. You're a very generous person, and uh, it's much appreciated. Thanks, brother. Yeah, and thank you for doing what you're doing here and, and helping, helping us all out. My pleasure. All right, sir, I'll let you get back to your life. Thanks for doing this, and I hope to talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care. Uh, take care, brother. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.housethepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well.